This episode of The Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. Welcome to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and with me this week, I just can't expand upon all the, the accomplishments this woman has made in her life, but we're going to try and touch upon them in the time that we have, but we're going to run out of time. So maybe we can have this person on again for part two of the story, but Lee Brandon, you know, we've been doing this series of, of women trend setting in the NFL and Major League Baseball and across the fields of professional sports. Well, this is a woman who hasn't gotten the accolades that she should because back in 1991, she was a strength conditioning coach for the New York Jets. But with a name like Lee Brandon, I think it's probably because everyone thought that Lee had a uh, a male parentheses after the name when in fact Lee Brandon is far from anything like that. So Lee, welcome to the Zealous Podcast. Thank you, Rocky. And that's exactly, I was actually there for two seasons, 90 and 91. I was there through for over a year and a half, uh, spring preseason 1990, all the way with the New York Jets. I was hired by coach Greg McCready, uh, who was the head strength and conditioning coach for the New York Jets. I was the head strength coach at Hofstra University starting back in 1985. And when those jobs came up at the end of 1989, I was uh, approached by a dear friend of mine who is still the provost at Hofstra University's recreation. And she said, you know, Lee, get me your resume. You know, the Jets are here using the recreation facility because at that time, the New York Jets were owned by Mr. Leon Hess and they utilized the Hofstra facility. That was the original Hofstra facility under that administration. Wow. And so I gave her my resume and uh, it's a very funny story how I came up with Lee because that wasn't my birth name. My birth name, uh, I usually used to tell people that I'd have to kill them if I told them, but I'm, I'm disclosing it now because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now that it's people don't make fun of me anymore. I, I just, uh, that was part of what drove me getting so strong. I had to start lifting weights to survive the bullying of my my given name. Okay, so you thought, tell me yours and I'll tell you mine because Rocky is not my birth given name. <laughs> I got my mom. This was conference calling in 19, 1989. I had two phones. I dialed my mom on one. I dialed my dad on the other one. Here was my mom in New York, my dad in Oklahoma. And I'm talking to both of them this way. I'm like, I don't know. So this was conference calling back in 1990. <laughs> for how long ago this was. I mean, this is, we're talking, you know, two to three years before uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was even nominated into the Supreme Court. We're talking uh, when computers, I didn't even have a computer, own a computer. This is when we all had typewriters, you know, right. cell phones didn't exist then. Uh, you know, film went through a thing, you push a button and it would bzzz or spit out or you'd have to drive it to, you don't even know any of those, camp, you know, they're, they're antiques now. That was how long ago this was. So my conference call with my mom and my dad was, mom, I love you. Dad, I love you. I don't know why you named me this name. It was Bertha. <laughs> I said, but my resume is being submitted to the New York Jets. And if you know anything about the culture back then, 
It was Basement Bertha, the cartoonist, because the Jets were in the basement for a long time. So it was Basement Bertha. Then there was a song, Bertha Butt. And I was beat up and just absolutely forced to start, you know, lifting weights to survive being a Southern girl moved from Southern Georgia all the way up to New York at the age of seven. So that was how my strength training began, began very early on. <laughs> so I told them, I said, listen, I love you both. Maybe when I turn 60, I'll put back on the Eartha. But for today, it's just going to be Beely Brandon. And that's it. So, um, you know, that has truly been my given informal name since I've changed all my papers. Best decision I ever made. Wow. However, when I submitted my resume via uh, Pat Montagano, who's the provost at Hofstra, she put it in there. I was blessed at the time to have already been an Olympic coach for the 84 Olympics, assisting Dr. Harry Snyder, and had been very involved, you know, as a head strength coach at Hofstra. So my resume was, I was blessed to already have a lot of experience at such a young age. So in 1980, 89, we had submitted it at the end of 89 and in the early January, February, I was hired in 1990 by, by the New York Jets, by Coach McCready. Wow. And my title was the Assistant Strength and Conditioning Specialist. And I was brought in and I worked with Pepper Burris, who was the head athletic trainer at the time. Pepper went on and has had an amazing, illustrious career since retired from Green Bay Packers, but he was there his whole career. Uh, still in touch with a lot of the guys, you know, hey, Pepper, hey. <laughs> Joe, Trevor Maddich. I mean, I could throw a whole lot of names at you. Still in touch with Coach McCready. And at some point, the two of us are going to be shouting out to the universe the truth of what those coaches at that time and those players did, which was so visionary and the risk that they took. It wasn't popular then to bring a woman in the door, but Coach had the courage to offer me a position. And the way things were done back then was on a handshake. You didn't sign contracts. You, there wasn't a big HR hoopla. Uh, there was, you know, 30 years ago, that was the way it, it rolled, 31 now. Um, so when I was hired, it was like, yep, yeah, I want you here. He tested me out. He sent me over with a huge offensive lineman, Brett Miller. And, you know, the rest was history. Um, you know, I had to take him through his workout and the whole gym stopped when I deadlifted over 600 pounds off of his chest. <laughs> so, that was the way that went down you know so I, I you know I feel very blessed I, I never saw myself as a woman going in to do a job but a teacher I never saw myself as a uh, anything other than just, this was what I was meant to do this was my passion I was meant to be a teacher a coach and oftentimes teachers are always behind the scenes and don't receive the credit that they deserve even nowadays you know most teachers are life-changing in students lives and I always envisioned, I said, I always thanked God that my ability to teach great biomechanics, my ability to understand movement, my ability to lift weights had nothing to do with gender. It's all non-gendered stuff. So well, when you when you present yourself in such that in such a fashion, then people are gonna see you as you see yourself, right? You, they're not going to see a female coach, they're gonna see a coach, right? They're not right. going to put any labels on it. And well, so I agree, but also I think what really helped me, honestly is the fact that I had the worst mullet you've ever seen. So, oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> no, you couldn't tell. I looked like, a, you know, you know, you, you really couldn't tell except for my neon outfits. Was Pete Carroll the head coach at that time too? 
Pete Carroll was there. Yes. Yeah. He or he was the no, defensive coordinator, wasn't he? He was the defensive coordinator along with Coach Greg Robinson. Yes. And I worked more with Coach Greg Robinson. I have a picture of us together in New York Times. You can see it on, it's on my, on, like at Lee Brandon Inc. on my Instagram or on the website. I have all, all of these things up on LinkedIn, uh, which are really wonderful. I was blessed to go back and even find an old original 1099 from them yes. paying me, you know. So whether it was, you know, I mean, looking back now, I think the biggest argument is that I don't know. I mean, it, it's been published in Sports Illustrated. I was blessed with my long drive career to be in Sports Illustrated twice, mm. over 40 in my swimsuit, which was frightening at the time. Now I look back 20 years later going, ha, I look pretty good. That was fun. <laughs> you know, at the time I was mortified. But um, I think truly that, you know, I've been very, very blessed in my career and I just haven't let, you know, any no stop me, you know, and just sort of, you know, COVID, you know, things happen, life happens, it, it rains on all of us, you know, and so, you know, that's what, what I see is uh, with the way that the industry has shifted, it's nothing but a huge celebration. And I also see it as a parabolic curve. These coaches here on this side of this parabolic curve took such courageous choices to bring me in and hire me. And I'm looking back, not egregiously, I'm looking back to celebrate celebrate the courage of them, celebrate the fact that I was there and I did my job. I was seen and not heard. I did it well. I did it so well, it's almost disappeared. But to me, at this point, whether I was green, purple, straight, gay, male, female, none of that even matters. You can't do a job and have it disappear. That's the part that's not okay for me. Otherwise, your job, all these young women's jobs and all of their titles, if mine could go away that easily and I was there a year and a half, yeah. to me, it's worth standing up for. It hasn't been about me blowing my horn because God has blessed me in so many ways. I didn't design my career around being the first. I designed my career around trying to be a, a lover of movement and a servant to mankind and try to share my love of life. And uh, I'm just still standing in to say, hey, listen, that just can't go away, not because of me, but for all of us, paying it forward. It's something we truly need to, you know, that, that needs to be acknowledged and honored. And, and that's, that's my only reason I'm even chatting with you, because I'm not one to blow my own horn. It's not my way. So. Well, and that's obvious that you're, you're just following your heart and your passion, because with, where you went from there, and even previous to your time with the Jets, how you not only got there, but that your life path. I mean, it's, it's not that you're standing on the mountaintop and, and saying, look at me. It's like, oh, look at that next mountaintop I want to climb. And then exactly. look at that one over there. You've just been climbing mountain after mountain. And it's not just with the NFL. So let's, let's go back in time a little bit more, if we could, to what... Yeah, I know this story because you just shared it with me off, off the air, but uh, you just told me you deadlifted 600 pounds off alignment when he's bench pressing, but that's using both arms, but one of those arms almost didn't, uh, didn't stay with you. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it was uh, February 27th, 1979, and I was playing a county playoff basketball game out at Ward Melville High School on Long Island off the court and went to walk into the locker room looking behind me talking with a few friends of mine whom I'm still friends with today um, which you know is, is just such a blessing there of and by that as well 
but they saw the glass as I went to walk through the door. It was one of those long, thin glass, heavy doors that was a push door without a crash bar, just had a hand plate, but I wasn't paying attention. And I went to walk through the door and it swung open and I fell through and the glass came down like a guillotine and oh. all detached my left arm. The only thing still attached was my tricep tendon and uh, the bone was nicked and cut However, miraculously, the medial nerve, because the bicep tendon was thoroughly cut all the way up the arm, all of this was sliced from here to here. Um, the mirror, I mean, if you don't believe in miracles once you've met me, I truly believe that maybe I'm just meant to still be alive and um, tell the story because it's so easy to be in, in a world that doesn't seem fair. That seemed very unfair to me. Why do good things happen? I'm sorry, why do bad things happen to good people? And then you see why do good things happen to really bad people? I mean, it's, it just seems like there's such inequity in the world. But at the end of the day, my paradigm was that there must be a great hand someplace. And my personal experience was one that proved to me that I really needed to reroute my life. And that moment changed my life forever because I died. Uh, my experience of death is going to be in a documentary that's going to be coming up soon, highlighting my blessed storied crazy life as you know, being a pioneer in many ways uh, that I've been blessed to do. And I just haven't let no stop me. You know, I find a way to bulldoze under it, around it, and just keep moving. So that near detachment forced me to start trying to find a way because no physical therapist at the time, they were concerned. They used a controversial surgical clamp to hold, pull my artery down and put it together. I was one of the first controversial surgical clamps they used. Now that's standard in the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, but the visionary, Dr. Kurtz, who did that micro surgery, a micro reattachment, the nerve was traumatized. So I couldn't feel my hand nor my forearm for many years. Seven years later, my hand woke up. But for every single day in that seven years, I fought. I had a tennis ball in my hand. I would always try to make it hold things. I was feeling sorry for myself going into college uh, because I lost all my athletic scholarships. I went to school on an academic scholarship, which was really tough. I wasn't this, I mean, I was smart, but I had to fight for my grades. I had to really study more than everybody else. Um, and so I went to school on an academic scholarship and it was a work scholarship. So I had to scrub toilets for four years to work my way through school on that work scholarship. The great news with that is that I became the greatest toilet scrubber and the greatest custodian in the history of that school. And, but it took me the first year to work through my bad attitude of feeling like I had lost everything. And how do you, I couldn't do what I needed to do, but I could scrub toilets with one hand and clean. So that was, that was what I did. And then that was when I was blessed to meet Dr. Harry Snyder and his wife, Sarah. They were the head strength coaches for the 84 Olympics, working with Dr. Leroy Perry at the time out of Los Angeles. I went to school in Pasadena. And so he, I walked into his office with a shot put in one hand because I was a nationally ranked shot put thrower training as a decathlete at the time. We did, women did decathlete, not pentathlete way back then. And uh, a Bible under the other arm because I was trying to figure out, you know, why I was still here. Uh -huh. Because it was obvious to me that there was a reason I was here and I couldn't sort that out. And so I walked into Coach Snyder's office and he looked at me and he goes, you are just a walking dichotomy, aren't you? So what I, what I didn't tell you is, is that um, he had survived and had osteomyelitis. And here was a man 
who had a challenged leg, who was an Olympic coach. So his light and his example basically inspired me and planted a seed in my heart. He goes, you don't have to have two good arms to be a coach. You just have to have a great mind. You, you need to be able to invest in other people. You need to be willing to be seen and not heard and be behind the scenes and hold other people up. He taught me what being a great strength coach and a great teacher is. Really set the foundation very powerfully. So my near loss that was and could have been devastating. Seven years later, I'll never forget the day my hand woke up. And, but I told you every one of those days I was playing, I taught myself to replay my guitar because I love music. I play guitar. Can't even go into iTunes and Google Lee Brandon. You'll hear the first song I wrote in the hospital in 1979. It's actually on iTunes right now. Wow. It was given to me as a gift from one of my musician clients to record it. She said, this song is too good to go unheard. So it's, it's out to the universe. And I just had so much fun in the studio recording it. Uh, I'm not a musician. Uh, though I did, you know, singer-songwriter, that was always my, my space that I loved. But the guitar was my healer. Music is always healing. Music and movement, like hooked on phonics for children who cannot read. Music and feedback. Damaged engrams from motor learning. So what we know now, I was blessed to stumble on 40 years ago. So that's why I went on and have nine patents on fitness innovation around reinstating core strength and stability because I honestly follow the best McGill, Cholowicki, uh, Sullivan, Tomei, all the best researchers in the world. It all comes down to replicating a great spine angle to create more distal speed. So I was blessed in, at the age of 39 to win my first world championship. I'd never picked up a golf club. That was my rookie year. And I just thought low and inside pinch, pitch, right field fence, let her rip. That was, and I won. And I was, you wait know, a minute, wait. You, that was, you, you were the long drive champion your rookie year. That's correct. Are you kidding me? No, sir. I, I wish I were, but I tell you, if you don't believe in miracles before you hear my story, I was not better than any of the women there. They were all better than me. I'm not sure I didn't hit a sprinkler head, honestly. No. <laughs> Well, you know, shot put is all about rotational power. So, you know, think about it. it's like shot put to the long drive championship. Okay. I can it was totally that. intuitive. It was totally intuitive. And I was a nationally ranked softball player. I always hit cleanup. So to me, when I got a golf club, I'm like, this feels like home. This is amazing. So I just, my thought I was thinking was bringing athleticism back in 2000, 2001, to the sport of golf. So I was one of the first strength coaches that was talking about posture equals power in golf. I was highlighted on the golf channel, highlighting the importance of spine angle and bringing posture and strengthening your lats. And you would never hear about it this day because there have been so much in that interim of 20 years, but all of those pieces exist. And I feel really blessed to, again, to have been a pioneer to have planted the seeds and used myself as a guinea pig with a reattached arm to go on and win Two international titles was nothing short of miraculous. I mean, anybody can be great once, but can you repeat it? That to me is what blesses us to be great champions, to engineer champions is they can win one time, but can you repeat the win? And so I've invested my career in assisting people and finding out how do we replicate greatness? And to me, humbly, it comes down 
to being able to repeat a great spine angle. And I use my technology to enhance that process so people can see and hear and feel the way the gift of that guitar gave my hand to wake up. One day it woke up because we know now, we didn't know anything about fascia then, but the reroute of my fascia and my body and me forcing that hand to try to hit those notes and then turning it over and teaching myself to play guitar taught my brain to start running that arm. So now this technology is being used to help those who've lost limbs because the same mechanisms work. So one of my biggest passions is like our paramilitary and military uh, amputee programs, helping them with golf, uh, helping amputee programs because the programs around amputee reattachment, they need to learn how to, these guys are athletes, these for stability. So look at the great Stephanie Victor who lost both legs to a car accident and now she's like, what, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 time world champion downhill skier because she learned to control her core to drive the ski tip. And so if we can assist people who've lost limbs, that takes all of our excuses away for those of us who still have everything still attached. Honestly, it's, it's, it's an, a level of awareness on so many different aspects. Not only just the physical awareness, the mental, the emotional, it's just like just waking up really is what you're saying is just if we can encourage people to truly awaken then there are no restrictions it's that's correct that's right you just have to compare yourself to yourself stay in your lane and like i was telling you before i wanted to set the tone in this and i i lovingly say you know there were no disadvantages in my life though losing an arm and having it reattached and not having it work for seven years could be viewed as something I should be whining about. And yet I realized that that disadvantage actually didn't define me, but took me to a new level because there's not an athlete that comes to me that hasn't lost their career, that wants to reinvent themselves, that I can't relate to. God has, or the universe, that great hand someplace, whether you're religious or not, you know, I have to believe I'm still alive for a reason. So I've been able to help them figure out though a lot of it does come down to our perspective. So, I mean, at the end of the day, no, nothing in my life happened to me, but it happened for me. Nothing happened to me. It happened for me. And that happening for me then has allowed me to truly be able to springboard that into any conversation with an athlete that comes to me whining going, coach, I lost my career to my hip. And I'm like, well, then let's reinvent you. Let's figure it out. Let's, uh, I, you know, I lost my pitching career because of baseball. All right, don't worry. We'll get you back. Let's figure it out. Let's reinvent your talents. Let's figure out, you know, we're not, you know, we're not one dimensional. We're multifaceted as human beings. So planting seeds of hope, planting seeds of love, planting seeds that help reinvent uh, those of us who love movement so much. One injury doesn't preempt us from doing great things, which I've been blessed to now actually have a 40 year career as a strength coach. And isn't that a crazy number to even say? Yeah. So, okay. With this. Thank God I started when I was five. So, you know. (laughs) <laughs> the youngest strength coach around. So you're I don't want people at home calculating the numbers going, okay, how old is she? Okay. That's quite, I'm just thinking like in terms of your rolling resume in strength conditioning, not Hofstra, yes. And uh, the Olympics, of course, it, it, the Jets, uh, and it just kept on rolling through. And, and one of the most, uh, I'll say, I guess, unique, opportunities was uh, on the set of Baywatch. So (laughs) 
where did that well, roll out? It's like, oh, oh, what did you do after the NFL? Oh, I guess I'll go hang with with uh, Pamela Anderson and, and the That's rest of the career. That's Well, I, I tell you, and yes, it's been a very crazy blessed career. So I've actually been blessed to work with amazing celebrities uh, that I have the permission to mention their name, though it's not about the celebrity, but people like Kevin Cosner, Sly Stallone, um, have worked with uh, the great Dame Judy um, and Julie Andrews uh, and her husband, Blake, uh, just the list goes on. And the Baywatch set was really um, amazing. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, people don't even know that um, Anna Nicole Smith and the young man that was killed with her, um, gosh, I'm even at a loss for his name now, but David Chokichi was on the set of Baywatch. And so I worked with all of those young men, they all trained together at that time. So, I mean, I've been through many different iterations of my career, but what actually brought me to Los Angeles again was that coach Arcee at UCLA actually recruited me after the Jets. So oh, that what happened. That was what happened. And uh, so I was there on the East coast. I had uh, been battling some, uh, like some pneumonia stuff and I tested positive for tuberculosis which was a false positive, now we know. Okay. But uh, I had to go upstate New York and became the head volleyball coach at Plattsburgh State. And then from there got recruited down in uh, 93 to coach RC in UCLA. So I was always knowing I was gonna be going back to the West Coast, but then the riots hit. So on my way driving out, I got a phone call that from UCLA that said, sorry, due to the riots where we, there's a hiring freeze. So I still came and I got a job at Sports Club LA where I was blessed to work with many, even, you know, the great Magic Johnson. And, you know, I, I was working with a lot of different people and put in a place where I met a lot of celebrities, uh, royalty, people I've been blessed to train from, from every corner of the world. And I said, well, the money here is amazing you know, when you go independent. So basically for 30 years, I had been independent, still working as a consultant in the NFL, still consulting major league behind the scenes uh, under NBA, not to disclose my work with them because they really wanted to make sure that, you know, you know there's, a, there's a lot of, you know, confidentiality when you work at that level. So uh, that was in part what sort of my path. I know that was one of your questions, why I never went back to the NFL. Uh, I just, I, I realized I had applied, it wasn't my, my lack of trying, but by that point now it was known that I was a woman and there was a 25 year gap there. And that's why I keep putting out to the, on my, all my social media, let's celebrate, because I'm so grateful. Even though it took 25 years, at least it has gotten to this point now where uh, the NFL is more inclusive. And I believe they had to reinvent themselves um, for many reasons. Um, way beyond this conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially within the last year, for sure. Yes. Yeah. So, so I would love to to just, you've mentioned the patents and inventions. W would you touch upon that? Sure, what sure. is it that you're really working with uh, with these devices and, and the approaches that you've, you've created? Well, well, what I realized was um, after my stint with the Jets was over and I handed my keys back in, which was a hard loss for me. And so it's hard to lose your job. You know, people can argue with the fact that I'm a woman, 
there's two things they can't argue with. One is if you own the patent, then it's proof that you actually invented that intellectual property. Two, because it was always sort of being knocked off. I could do it and then somebody else would come out with it. So I said, well, let me go ahead and do this. So I've been blessed with nine patents now, which is around this, uh, this whole uh, postural awareness system. And did, there have been different devices that have come out in the interim. Um, just so you know, uh, I'm getting ready to launch a new product that is a version of my original pro product, which was called the Ab Enforcer, AB hyphen I Enforcer that was used by physical therapists, chiropractors, and it was voted the number one core trainer in the state of California for three or four years running by healthcare practitioners. It was in every hospital, physical therapy journals, and, and all of that's on JOSPT. You can see all that on Google Scholar. Um, compared to the side plank, because we all know the standards are planking right now for endurance testing. Yeah, I was going to say I've been blessed to invent the hands-free plank. It's what it's looking like. Gotcha. And just neck and shoulder problems. Uh, is, is the plank truly a test of one's neck and shoulder endurance or is it truly a test of one's core strength? Most people don't even bypass the hip flexors or those 13 flexing dominant muscles to actually, is a, is a plank here, is a plank here? You know, so this basically just takes the rocket science out of planking and gives us a true bilateral uh, in conjunction with great posture the ability to do a traditional straight leg race, scissor moves, 90-90s, um, you know, numerous things. So this has been my secret sauce in working for the past 20 plus years with elite athletes, Olympians going to the Olympics for, as you see behind me, I've been blessed to work with athletes from all over the world. So in essence, you had yourself a movement screen before the more famous one uh, emerged. Oh, yeah. And actually, I was blessed to even chat with those guys when they came out because I said, you can't do a movement screen without a head and a neck position, because otherwise, then you're throwing out, you know, the, the, the concept that the head is a fifth appendage and it's awareness. So I was able to challenge uh, some of those teams uh, to rethink the way that that test was done. So I feel very blessed in the sense that I, I've been able, again, behind the scenes to be able to be part of uh, a movement, trying to purify movement. And again, it, the universe is always taking care of me. So I'm not going to worry about credit for any of that because, you know, and, and you may hear a different story, but, you know, we all know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have been blessed myself to be in the audience at a couple of your presentations and uh, the information that you share with the, the industry has just been remarkable and incredibly valuable. And uh, I got into the NSCA right at about the time that you were uh, transitioning over to UCLA. I think it was probably 93 is when I became a strength conditioning specialist. And, and we had some great, uh, great professors and, and great leaders in the industry there, like uh, uh, the Stones, as we mentioned off the air, uh, Meg Ritchie Stone and her husband and Garhammer and uh, all the rest that, that that were kind of leading the way with the NSCA. Of course, that it started in 78, but the CSCS began in 85. And, and so it's it's very interesting to see the, the path and the progress within strength and conditioning over the last 30 years, wouldn't you say? I'm so grateful for this career because, you know, I think it's one of the greatest things that, that we could be doing. And that's why I, I see 
our niche. I'm concerned about this world of, of strength and conditioning getting absorbed into more medical protocols. Um, because to me, I would never pretend to be a medical practitioner. And yet sometimes there's this crossover and it's sort of skipping uh, the value of all of the experience. Those of us who really teach movement have been involved in movement. Um, I would never underestimate that world. And I just pray that the industry doesn't as underestimate the certified strength and conditioning world um, because I truly believe that it is so significant. Well, and there's such a chasm, isn't there, between uh, what they learn in medical school as a doctor and, and the strength conditioning specialist or the movement specialist, they're actually learning two separate subject matter because I think they spend at most two weeks of information on biomechanics of the human body in medical school. So yeah, yeah there, there needs to be a partnering. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's happening in, in, at least in my region, what I'm seeing. So yeah, hopefully that won't be happening, but I- yeah. The other thing about you know, where you began, and, and I wasn't that far behind you, definitely following in your, your trails, is, is that really it's such a young industry and a truly a young science that it is only bound to grow and, and expand more in terms of knowledge and experience that it's been a wonderful kind of journey to, to be on this train and, and watching the landscape change as we, as we go down the rail and, yeah. and know that it's just improving all the time. And, and if you, or for that matter, myself, can be part of contributing to the emerging landscape, and what a great gift that is for Absolutely. for me personally, for you, I'm sure too, but and, and anybody else that may be benefiting from it. Uh, look at a lot of these young women that I've been honored to be part of their lives. Uh, Christy was working, she was uh, the assistant at Tennessee Titans. Uh, as you know, Emily Zaylor was up at, at the Broncos. Yeah. So the thing is, is, is that it comes down to the fact that um, for forever, the legacy, and I just have to state this for the record, is that in the NFL, Strength coaches have always been on the coaches page. Every website you go to, strength coaches are always labeled. You see the head coach, you see the line coaches, you see, you don't see the medical staff, you don't see the athletic trainers. They're not on the coaches page. You will only see the strength coaches under coaches. And so I wasn't a coach in the NFL is, it has been controversial in the sense that I've been told by others who, you know, are have you know are women since then. Well, we all know strength coaches are not coaches in the NFL, and that to me is not accurate because no. to me it's if you look at any of the other coaches that have been out there, we've all been blessed. But you know, it's not me saying that. It's basically the legacy of the NFL has made strength coaches coaches. Now maybe that's true in different sports, but that has not been my paradigm. Um, but for whatever reason, I'm really grateful for how the sport has grown, but I believe it's very important that we honor history as well. And so that is sort of where I'm coming from is that as strength coaches, we cannot be minimized and stated that we are not coaches when every collegiate team has got their strength coach on the sideline, every Every NFL team has their strength coach on the sideline. Strength coaches are coaches. And that's just the simple truth of it. And so being a first coach, a line coach, a D-line coach, 
O-line coaches, I think all of that is going to be happening. But to overlook what doors that I was blessed to walk through, even though it wasn't marketed, even though my name non-gendered got me through the door and it was my gifts that I was given and uh, perseverance and tenacity and uh, the knowledge that I'd been given to that date. Coach McCready will tell you, he goes, you were the best man for the job. And so that's why I got the job. He didn't see me as a woman. He just said, you know, listen, the truth will be known, Lee, don't worry. And I've never worried. I didn't design my career around being the first woman in the NFL. That wasn't, it was a fact, but to not, today, part of the reason we're speaking is because I honestly believe it's important that those who are in the industry know that there were people who fell on the right side of history. Thank God the Jets were visionaries back then. They even had a woman that was on their board of directors. That was the first board of director uh, woman in the NFL. There, they, they were very inclusive under Mr. Leon Hess way back in the day. It wasn't advertised because it wasn't about that. They just wanted a winning legacy. But to me, one of the leg, it would be just such a shame to lose that magnificent, beautiful piece of NFL history that Coach McCready, Coach Coslett, these guys had the courage. Now, again, the way it was, head coach Coslett was not necessarily in the gym, but coach Greg Robinson was. But coach Coslett, the way that the, the NFL history worked back then was that the head coach would go, I delegate to you, you hire whatever assistance you want. You know, that's, that was the way it was done back then. And so I believe it was very easy for me to go under the radar. I would have no need to go into the front office. I would run every single line. I worked with a couple of other guys that were assistants with me at any given time, but I was there for a year, over a year and a half. And um, I was the one sort of bridging the gap between the athletic training room to try like the great Altoon. We were managing some injuries. Yeah. And so uh, we were trying to get him back into the weight room, get him back on the field. So that was my job was to bridge this gap and make sure that we knew this was, you know, prehabilitative, post-physical therapy work prior to that, because that was, again, my paradigm with my reattached arm. I knew how to do those baby steps prior to getting somebody back into the big global moves. So that was the, the bridging space that I was blessed to play. And so Coach McCready, that was my delegated job that I would take the, the injured list and I would work them back into the gym. And then my job was to do whatever he told me to do. And I believe I did it really well. I just honestly believe it just shouldn't disappear for many reasons. Well, I'm, I'm not going to let it disappear. That's for sure. And uh, as long as this podcast keeps airing, uh, that there'll be more added proof. You mentioned tenacity. So Lee, I want to know with your continued tenacity, where are you going? Where, where next? What is the next great mountain in which you see off in the distance you're climbing? Uh, you know, listen, I'm, I'm just a big believer that the second half is going to be better than the first half. So it's great. Yes. As far as I'm concerned, uh, it's the, the sky is the limit. So a couple of things in the planning stages is a, a Guinness Book of World Record. Um, as of right now, at the age of almost 56, I set the record at hitting uh, the golf ball over 330 yards as the longest driving woman in competition to date. Um, so I set the record like three years ago now on doing that, or maybe four, whatever it was, uh, it doesn't matter. I, I, there's a lot of wonderful messages here. You know, being a, a powerful, blessed plus size woman, plus size has gotten a bad name, you know, owning your power, 
uh, women with menopause thinking your life is over. None of that is even true. It's all just mistruths and, you know, misdiagnoses. We just know that movement is healing. Positivity is healing. There's ways to reinvent your life. So I'm still going to be hitting a long ball. I'm still going to be training champions and engineering champions. I'm still going to be working on, uh, we're getting ready to relaunch my new version of a consumer version of uh, the advanced new spine technology, which is my nine patents. That's underway as we speak. I can't disclose too much, uh, but the answer is just stay posted. Follow me on at Lee Brandon Inc. on Instagram. I love mentoring these young women and men who call me. I try to answer every single call. Um, so like this afternoon, I'm, I'm meeting with a, a couple of different folks, like the nutritionist from the Atlanta Braves. I'm working on a new nutrition line because I'm frustrated at so many things that are out there in the name of being healthy. And I'm just trying to produce a healthy line of fitness foods that basically would be delivering farms. So I'm here in the middle of farm country. So I've met so many amazing farmers. And so I've come up with, uh, I'm gonna come up my with a line of products, but the first one out of the shoot is going to be a protein bar, but really packed with real stuff, real oh, eggs wait. and real high quality antioxidants and minerals and nutrition, just a nutrition bar, but taste good. Because to me, if they're grainy and, uh, and then, you know, when I'm competing, I want something I can grab a bite of and set it down. And that's classically been a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh -huh. That's been my go-to for years because it doesn't upset your stomach. So I need something that's going to not be, you know, too over the top, but something that all these athletes that are out there training. So we need recovery. We need performance. We need a sport performance recovery, kind of a food delivery system from the farm to the athlete. And that's what I'm working on. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, and at some point in time, you'll actually get some sleep too, because it doesn't sound like that's what you do much of. <laughs> Well, this has been amazing. I'm going to put all your contact information in, in, in the description below, whether it's on the YouTube channel or on the podcast uh, platforms. But this has been amazingly, and uh, I, I, well, I can't wait to see what's next and, and the products that are coming out. I'll definitely be looking forward to that too. And I'll keep you posted. And uh, I'm just please. so grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful to all of your listeners for you taking time because all of us as coaches would be nothing without all of you there and our beautiful, uh, you know, like family of coaches and believers who believe in movement. Because to me, there's a whole generation that now are growing up in COVID who don't know or love movement. I love it. And that's a, a beautiful way to bring a really nice time with you to a close. Lee, this has been wonderful. Uh, I, I would invite you back. Let's, let's maybe plan a date somewhere in the future, sure. uh, six months to a year down the road where when you're, you're, all these things are kind of coming to fruition and we want to kind of get it out there to as many people as possible. I'd love to have you back. Thank you. I'd be honored. And I'm, again, I'm just huge. Thank you to you. And, and I'm so grateful to everybody. So huge hugs. Mwah. Love to everybody. And that's another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm going to send us off with a little bit of Lee's music. Remember, you can go to iTunes and check out Lee Brandon. This is a shot called Down That Road. I want to say thanks to Lee and to everybody else for listening in. Be sure you subscribe and tell others. Share what's out there. We'll see you next week.
just see the wind. 